Chapter Twenty Nine of the Heart of Philura by Florence Morse Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Nine. The Lord gave. It lacked a quarter of three by the gloomy black marble clock presented by an admiring parish on the occasion of his first marriage, when Mister Pettibone, his hair very much rumpled and a worried, almost distracted expression on his kind grave face stepped across to the parlour. "'My dear Philura,' he began, and then stopped to rumple his hair afresh with a distraught gesture. "'Why, Silas!' she cried, turning from a comprehensive polishing of the lower left-hand pane of the front window, which, being of a cheap greenish glass, but ill-rewarded her labours. "'You're not even dressed! And that meeting!' She paused to remove the handle of the baby's rattle-box from a too close proximity to his windpipe. "'That's the third time,' she announced. "'He seems possessed to ram that celluloid thing down his blessed little throat.' She surveyed the article in question with severely critical eyes. "'I should think anybody would know better than to make a toy like that for a baby,' she said. "'I shan't give it to him any more, Silas.' even if Mrs. Buckthorn did give it to him. She says all her children cut their teeth on it. But I don't care if they did. That doesn't make it any better. Mr. Pettibone glanced distractedly about the room. I, uh, um, oh, don't you think, my dear, you'd better leave the windows in this room till another day? He inquired rather wildly. Oh, it seems to me... Silas, you'll certainly be late at that committee meeting, declared Mrs. Pettibone, looking up from a rapturous cuddle of the baby. Isn't he the sweetest thing? she added irrelevantly. Oh, Lord, Lord, groaned Mr. Pettibone. He dropped into a chair as if spent with emotion. What's the matter, Silas? demanded Mrs. Pettibone, tardily aware of his perturbation and she gazed searchingly at him. "'Is it your stomach? I knew I ought not to have those pork chops for dinner. Tell me, Silas.' "'I can't,' muttered the minister. "'I might have known. It's my fault. If I'd only—' She was standing in the middle of the floor, the baby pressed against her breast. "'I know,' she said quietly. You've heard something. Her steadfast eyes wavered for an instant as her lips sought the crown of the curly little head. Tell me, she begged. He drew a deep breath. They, uh, <clears throat> they just found out, he began, avoiding her eyes. The letter was from... Yes, she breathed. And they're coming? Today, he said. You must... They may be here at any moment. Oh, they shan't have him, Silas, she cried in a breaking voice. I can't give him up. I can't. I love him so. My dear, he said gravely, my dear. Their eyes met in a long look. She held out the child to him with a renunciatory gesture. Oh, take him, please. I must put this room to rights before... It was all over, before the black marble clock on the mantel told the hour of four. 
like other dreaded crises in life it arrived quietly enough this time in the shabby guise of a depot hack drawn up before the parsonage gate mrs pettibone stood in the window the child in her arms and watched the two young figures emerge from its stuffy interior and hurry up the walk the girl had been crying she noticed she was dressed sombrely in black the man at her side bent his tall head as if to encourage her with murmured words and they paused for an instant in the sparse shadow of a budding lilac the girl looked up at him a lovely smile breaking over her face then the bell jangled noisily as had been agreed on beforehand mr pettibone opened the door she heard a brief question a briefer answer and then the parlour door closed quietly it seemed a long time that she stood there gazing out of the window the child held close against her breast the baby whimpered a little and twisted his rosy face towards her he wants to go out in his carriage she thought with an uncontrollable throb of pain and then at last the door opened and the minister very pale and grave stood gazing at her compassionately from the threshold after a moment of indecision he came in closing the door behind him the young woman's mother is dead he uttered the words tentatively almost humbly she offered no comment it seems mrs maitland knew nothing of the child's existence he went on hurriedly until her mother sent for her the day before her death up to that time mrs cruden had refused to communicate with her daughter i should explain perhaps that hill was a family name assumed merely for convenience the child's impatient whimper changed to a fretful cry he wants me to take him out she said in a clear colourless voice he's used to going out at this time mr pettibone took two steps towards her his face twitching strangely oh my dear he murmured you will be brave you won't he stopped abruptly and turned again toward the door their name he said slowly is maitland you will come now and speak to them she walked steadily across the hall hushing the child in her arms mechanically he shall go out pretty soon she was murmuring so he shall mother will put his coat on and his little bonnet the young woman was standing by the window her handkerchief crumpled into a moist little ball clutched in one hand she turned swiftly her eyes fastening upon the child in mrs pettibone's arms is that my baby she asked she didn't look at mrs pettibone my wife said the young man rather stiffly has been very much upset by the suddenness of her mother's death perhaps you will understand i understand said mrs pettibone the baby had turned from the stranger in the large black hat and was hiding his face in her neck with little whimpering cries he's afraid mrs pettibone explained he doesn't like black oh but he mustn't be afraid of me he's my baby oh, come to mother darling oh stephen isn't he a dear and he looks like you his eyes the baby's name said mrs pettibone steadily is stephen how nice of you 
Oh, but I could have changed it, you know, if you'd called him anything else. Of course, he had to be named after his father. Her large, dark eyes sought her husband's inquiringly. He'd taken his watch from his pocket. We haven't much time, he told her. Mrs. Maitland glanced doubtfully at the minister's wife. I'll get his things ready, Mrs. Pettibone offered quietly. You'll want everything, of course. The young mother shook her head. I don't think we've got time, she objected. We can buy everything, you know, and we must get the express from Boston tonight. Oh, do let me take him. He'll have to get used to his mother, the darling. I'm afraid I don't know much about babies, but we'll hire a nurse for him right away. The child's desolate little cry pursued her as she hurried from the room. She could hear, too, the futile attempts of the young parents to quiet him. His pitiful complainings rang in her ears while she hastily rolled some little garments into an awkward bundle. They could buy everything, and they'd hire a nurse for him. At the supreme moment of parting, young Mrs. Maitland appeared to be visited by a transient gleam of comprehension. "'I suppose you'll really miss him,' she said brightly. "'And I haven't even thanked you, dear Mrs. Pettibone. What must you think of me?' but i do appreciate everything more than i can say if mother had only told me about baby poor mother she meant to be kind you will let us pay you for taking care of him all these months he must have cost a lot and we are rich you know now that poor mother but at this mrs pettibone who had preserved her usual tranquil, even smiling demeanour to the uneasy wonderment of her husband, drew back. "'Pay me?' she breathed. "'Pay me for taking care of my baby?' The minister listened to her movements in the room over his study for quite half an hour after the depot hack had rolled away. It was very quiet in the house, save for those hushed footfalls on the floor above. She'd chosen it for the baby's nursery because of the morning sun which streamed in through its three windows. Mr. Pettibone sat very still, huddled together in his study chair, a desolate sense of bereavement deepening within him. Many times he had stood calmly above a little casket, voicing those words of the universal heartbreak. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He tried to repeat them now, but the words died upon his lips. The sounds in the room above had ceased, and the silence beat heavily upon his ears. He compelled himself to get to his feet, to ascend the stair. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. He must somehow manage to convey comfort to that sorely stricken heart. She sat quite still in the gathering dusk, over against the window looking toward the east. There were small finger marks upon the pane. He remembered that only that morning she had sat there, the baby on her knee, looking out at him as he raked the sodden leaves, and the child had beat upon the glass with its rosy palms. He crossed the room on tiptoe and knelt down at her side, and putting his arms about her, pressed his wet cheek to hers. 
why silas she said stirring a little why my dear she had not been weeping then he experienced a vague sense of bewilderment not unmixed with fear then all at once he perceived that she was smiling her face dimly luminous in the dusk of the april evening i was thinking she said slowly about him yes dear he murmured his spent breath sounding very like a sob from the very first day you remember silas and ever since her empty hands suddenly tightened in her lap i hope she said that his nurse will love him she said she would hire a nurse rich women do that she said they were rich silas you heard her my dear philura he reminded her with a touch of his old authority she is his mother we must not forget that i know she submitted he rose to his feet presently and looked about him at the white crib in the corner with its tiny pillow still bearing the imprint of the baby's head at the cheap little toys neatly arranged in a basket at the small toilet appurtenances set forth upon the bureau we must give these things away he said almost harshly put them out of sight i cannot allow you but she lifted her hand with a pleading gesture no silas no she said softly let them stay end of chapter 29